Hello and welcome back to Uneducated, the show where we feel dumb so you don't have to. I'm your host, Cami Scott, and today I'm joined by Annie Teblin. She is the founder and CEO of Skinow and the host of the Off the Record podcast, which I had the absolute pleasure of being a guest on this week. So after you listen to this, make sure you go check out Annie's podcast, Interviewing Me. I will put the link to that in the show notes so you can easily access it. Today, Annie and I discuss so many things. We talk about the trajectory of her career and how she went from moving to LA to take an unpaid internship to working as a professional makeup artist on music videos for Prince, Britney Spears, NSYNC, and so many more. And you know I had to get her to spill the tea a little bit on her favorite celebrities to work with. Annie's so amazing. She has really found a way to take what life throws at her and turn it into a passion and a career so seamlessly. She suffered with cystic acne in her adulthood and created kind of a support group online that turned into a full business helping others solve their skin woes. So enjoy the episode. If you do, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. And there is also a little discount code for y'all for skin out. So check the show notes to get that. Enjoy the episode. For everybody listening, we just recorded over on Annie's podcast and I feel like I just took a crash course on how to be a better podcast host. You are amazing. Hardly, hardly, hardly. I, I don't even know why I put myself in the throes of doing an intro for someone in front of them, because I'll tell you what, I get so emotional. I get so emotional. Like I don't, I, you're, I don't look at you as I'm reading the notes, obviously, as I'm going through the intro. And so, and I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to look you in the eye while I was doing it. Cause I get so emotional telling people's story. That's really sweet and really genuine. And I think that's why you are such a good podcast host because you are so incredibly genuine with everything you're saying. And it's, it's really disarming. I was ready to tell you every secret I could come up with. (laughs) I just want you to know that I take it seriously that I have done my research and not in like a super, I mean, obviously by default, it's like voyeuristic because I don't (laughs) want to miss anything, but it's really just so that you come to the table feeling like it's to your point, it sets the tone. Mm-hmm. I think it just sets the tone for the podcast. And at the end of the day, you feel seen and yeah. like what, what can happen between us if you feel seen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I felt like there was no way I could be represented poorly when I felt like you already got who I was as a person. So it was really special. I had such a great time. Um, everyone go listen. I'll actually put the link in the show notes so you guys can very easily find our episode. Um, yeah, it was wonderful. So welcome, welcome to my show now. <laughs> oh my God. This is the best. It's like, we have a sleepover at my house and then the next night we have a sleepover at your house and it's a whole thing. I love it. Well, you didn't offer up the role, but I have already decided you kind of feel like my big sister. I feel like we have a lot of life parallels. Um, I really want to get into age because I, you just turned 40 as I just turned 30. Your birthday is about a month before mine. So I listened to your podcast on 
turning 40 and what that meant to you. And also everyone, please go listen to that because I think it's really powerful. So I have a lot of questions about things you said in that, but before we get started over here on, on and uneducated, I stumble over that every time I say it, my own show name, it's, it's very (laughs) sad. Um, we like to do a little segment over here just to get everyone loose and feeling comfortable and know that even my resident experts on the show don't know everything. So we're going to do a trivia question. (laughs) I love the reactions. People are either pumped and they're like bar trivia people, or they're terrified. Okay. Here I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. You're, and also I don't know the answer. So we are answering this together. We're in it. We're in it together. The question is about how many taste buds does the average human tongue have? I'm not so good at these, <laughs> like the, the gum in the jar things. I never, oh. I'd be millions off um, because a million gumballs cannot fit in a jar. If you didn't know that. Just me Googling right now on my phone. I'm just kidding. I'm Don't not. Don't you I'm dare. Not, I am. You just added that anecdote and that's me. Like at the dentist office, you get blah, blah, blah. If you guess mm-hmm. how many jelly beans and I'm like this, a hundred. And then they're like, it's 3,040. Like I do not have yeah. spatial awareness like that with what, and I can't, my brother would be like, if there's 10 right here, then you would have to guess if there's 80 of those. In here. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, you lost me. Yeah. So I'm not like, I could go look in the mirror and try to count my taste buds. I'm just going to throw out a random number. 30,000. So this is taste buds on the tongue. Mm-hmm. The average human. I don't know if that gives you any context. (laughs) I'm going to say 830. 830. What a great, pretty specific number. Okay. I said what? 30,000. Whoa. Okay. So we are one of us or both of us is very wrong. Let's see what our answer is. Mm, We're we're both pretty wrong. It's 10,000. So, you know, split the difference, subtract or add a few. That's just the average. So that means you're about the 30,000 and I'm completely atrophied at 830 taste buds. Well, I went over. So depending on what your rules of the game are, you are closer. I love that. I love <laughs> that little like, yeah, it, just, it does set the tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before we get started into all of the wonderful advice, I already know that you have after speaking with you over the last hour. I want to get to know you a little bit from my research on you. It seems like you have sort of mastered the ability to take the things that you love or the problems you have in your life and turn them into a career. I think it's a remarkable ability to have, and everyone is kind of striving for that. You started out as a makeup artist and then struggled with cystic acne, as did I, and you decided I want to make better skincare. And so you did, and you started a Facebook group so people could support one another. And it, I think I'm now knowing you, I'm not surprised that you were able to do that and bring people together, but what led you on that journey? Did you have a plan to create a business or did you just want to find like-minded people? How did you get to actually starting skin out? It's so funny. Cause you know, that question gets asked a lot. And I think in general, right? Like we all have our, our go-to script for how all of these journeys began, but I'm trying to spend more time really thinking back to 2013 and where I was at that time. And 
you know, I, listen, I, I graduated college and I, I was an intern the summer after my junior year at a place called a band apart, which has since closed. And it was the production company doing all the music videos at the time. So I, I wanted to be a makeup artist and I wanted to work in production and, um, and I'll say this, I wanted to work in production and I didn't think that there were jobs in makeup. Mm. I thought that like you could work behind the counter at Nordstrom's or Macy's and that was it, like any other position in that world was for those people, not for me. And um, then from working on set, uh, I was able to shadow makeup artists. And, you know, this was at a time where music videos were at its height. So it was mm-hmm. Britney Spears and Sync and all of these amazing acts and, um <clears throat> as that music industry began to close and, and music videos started to die, uh, I got head haunted, head haunted by Lancome and um, traveled around with them and did education and did makeup artistry and wore a ton of makeup and got the worst skin as a result of it. And Lancome taught me so much and I'm so indebted to them, but that ingredient deck did not serve my skin at all. So much fragrance, so many synthetics. And I had never dealt with acne. I didn't have it in high school. I didn't have it, you know, in my early twenties, I had it in my late twenties. Which is scary because that's not what we're taught. Even being in the beauty industry and I'm sure doing makeup and working with estheticians, we're not told that adults suffer from acne. And when you hear adult acne, it's normally 22, 23 year olds. So that was probably a really scary feeling as well. And it's like the people that you have access to, like when you're in your early twenties, you don't have a lot of access to people in their forties, unless you're, I don't know, working for them. Um, uh, But I just, there was like a a big gap of people that like, I just didn't have, I was hanging around my peers in my twenties, hanging around my peers in college, hanging around my peers, you know, and I didn't really see the others, that length, that telescoping of life where you can get hit like a Mack truck with, with cystic acne and not have the answers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I was eating relatively well. I was living in Los Angeles and after being raised, I was raised in Washington, DC and obviously so much humidity there. And then to move to LA, I think my skin just went into shock. Oh, and yeah. Cascade went into shock, um, a stressful time in life nonetheless. And that was just, that was my destiny. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was hit with acne and as painful and humiliating and self-deprecating as that time was, I never would have created Skin Owl if I had never had cystic acne. And mm-hmm. I feel like coming from the long comb world and coming from, you know, training at Sephora and Nordstrom and all of these big brands, I felt like there was a void in the industry for sound advice that was not coupled by you know, I'm going to sit you down in this chair and we're going to have a great 30 minutes together. And then you're going to spend $330. And then I'm just not really going to know you anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I would go home with buyer's remorse and too embarrassed to show up back to the makeup counter or skincare counter to return it because who would I be after they just spent all this time with me? And I'm like, this is just fucked. You know, this is just like not how it's not working for anyone. No. And it's not working yet for anyone. Like this Mm -hmm. is not how something so intimate for men and women should be handled. And so, um, the long and short of it is I went back to school, uh, UCLA had a cosmetic chemistry program and I went through the program a couple of times and my brain blew off because I couldn't believe what I was learning in terms of what is accurate about solving skin issues and versus how we are marketed to as people. Mm-hmm. And I think I just kind of put, put a stake in the ground and was like, this isn't right. And I want to share everything I've learned with people. And 
went to my kitchen, started formulating products, had a Facebook group at the time called Skin Owl, and I was the Skin Owl. So I was a messenger of wisdom in a very confusing industry between (laughs) between my makeup artistry knowledge and my chemistry knowledge, people would come into the group and invite their friends into the group and be like, hey, you know, what's a mascara? My lashes are thin or what mass, what, you know, SPF do you recommend for people with acne? And after a while, I was like, I'm spending so much time recommending other people's products that I should just make my own. Mm-hmm. And I created the first product, which is called the Geranium Drops, and it got rid of my acne in less than forty days and the hyperpigmentation. Forty days. Yeah, it was it it was that like all sales bullshit aside, I I stopped everything, which is why I often tell people just to isolate Skin Owl, like stop what you're using for a week and just mm-hmm. give me that week and use Skin Owl and watch what happens. And it's a less is more approach. It's a very supportive skincare approach. And I shared my before and after photos with the Facebook group and people were like, what? And the, honestly, that was the beginning of Skin Owl. My dear friend was a, a graphic designer and I was like, I need a logo. <laughs> I need like, I need like a landing page so people can PayPal me. And that was eight years ago. And since then it's, it's been a, a, a steadfast brand and a true support for people who are, who are dealing with really stubborn skin issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like so many really successful companies, and this is probably why you get this question so often of like, how did this all happen? Did you have a plan? Because it's actually genius marketing, but you didn't actually try to do this of having the Facebook group that is, you're not making money off of that. You just have people that you're trying to help out. So they trust you. You built that relationship. There was no bullshit. There was no sales involved. And you knew the difference. You came from that world. You were trained in that world. So they built up that trust for you as you're recommending all these other products that you probably aren't even making commission off of. And then when you come with a product, they know that that's genuine. And I think that's probably where a lot of the curiosity lies because it's genius, but it's more genius because it wasn't thought out because now people believe in you and they trust you and they know that they can come to you with their problems. And you're not, I think that's a big claim to say, don't use anything else. That's scary to people because they go, okay, you just want me to get rid of all of the things I've spent hundreds of dollars on trying to clear up my acne. But you're telling them that because you know, it works and you know, you can't help them unless you eliminate all of the other aspects. Um, you mentioned that you're a consumer, you know, I I started, I don't, I don't have any business experience. That wasn't my major that I don't come from a trust fund. Like I didn't, I have no business. Okay. Mm -hmm. Starting a business. I was like 25, (laughs) $28,000 in credit card debt to start skin owl. I was walking dogs and working Mm -hmm. at that time when it started behind a long comb counter. Mm-hmm. So like I had no business doing this, but I, I saw a void and that's, that's my personality. I see places that things and people can do better and I feel it. Yeah. And I, I think that's very clear. I mean, just like reading your blurb online, it, everything that you have ran into in your life, you somehow turn it into helping other people and making it a career for you so that you can channel all your energy into that. And it's probably just something you're born with. I don't know if, if you have advice on how to help people get to that, because it just, it, it seems very natural for you. Yeah. I don't, first of all, thank you. Um, thank you for that. I, I think that is, a 
one of the best things that you can hear. And like, a, it's, it's cool that that's accurate, you know, mm-hmm. because my dad used to say like, you're, you're giving away more product for free. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. You're the literally the only person in Hollywood, like working their way down. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I have a bleeding heart. It's in me. It's how, it's how I was raised. It's, it is just that. And, and I, I have it for animals. I have it for, for people who are struggling. I have it for the underdog. Like you and I share a lot of that, um, that, that just kind of unadulterated love for, um, people's weaknesses, you know, and not mm-hmm. for their weaknesses, but wanting to be the, the catalyst changing and, and, and bringing them out of a, a dark place. And so, you know, thinking back to where I was with acne, that's the first thing people see is your face, you know, especially mm-hmm. as a makeup artist. So it's like, how could I even take pride in the makeup artistry that I knew how to do if behind all of that was really just someone who was covering up their face? And it was not a pro acne conversation then, you know, mm-hmm. like I was not going to be showing my cystic acne and my purple scars and my atrophied indentations on my face. Like that's not something I was prepared to bring people on the journey for. And now it's like, I, I'm very clear on what Skin Owl does for people's skin. And it's because going back to your original point and question, like, I am a consumer who built a brand for a consumer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to market it. I don't have the money to be Maybelline. Like, it, that's not what it's about. But I, I promise people that if they give Skin Owl a chance, they will see a change in their product, in their skin. And if they don't, I invite people to, to return it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you're, you're not trying to fool anyone or trick them into buying your product. Cause I think you see the longevity of establishing trust with your consumers. I, I think the, the only advice that really sticks with being able to do that is put people first. Um, yes. I feel like we're getting to a world where more people are doing that. Um, especially in this country, it was like every man for themselves and kind of like claw your way up the ladder. And I I really feel a shift happening of it's people first product and money second. And I'm hoping that that continues, especially with younger generations, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a testament to who you are, by the way, that you run your company. So thank you. And step into your power. You know, and I think that mm-hmm. that's something that you realize after you feel empowered. It's hard to feel powerful when you have so much credit card debt and and nobody knows you as a skin expert. They actually see you as someone with cystic acne. So what the heck does she know? If she mm-hmm. was such a skin expert, wouldn't her skin be better? And so I think that's why taking matters into my own hands was such an empowering move for me, someone who chronically had such low self-worth and and felt so humiliated, like that was kind of out of character for me to just mm-hmm. be like, well, I'm going to go learn a bunch of stuff and see if that changes the outcome for me. So while in, in trying to heal my own skin, I have in turn helped. So, I mean, thousands of men and women heal their skin. And so it's been this full circle, you know, mm-hmm. moment where I don't know if I would have done that in any other area of my life, but it set me up to, to try. Yeah. Now, I think people would be upset with me if I didn't ask. Um, so you started out in music videos. Can you give us one of your your favorite music videos you worked on? Or, you know, you don't have to name names. Um, oh girl, I'm going to name the names. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna name I, didn't wa- I didn't want to push. I didn't want to push, but. <laughs> oh my God. I was just talking to my husband about this because I have not talked about this 
side, you know, of my life for a very, very long time. I, yeah. I think it's important and I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because I could talk a whole podcast about this, but I, I, I remember, um, oh God, when first semester, my junior year, I went to Indiana University. I remember putting on MTV and watching a show called Making of the Video. And wow. Loved and it's, yeah, and it's no longer on anymore because there's no more music videos really um, in the way that there was music videos. There are now, but it's it's a completely different approach. Um, and I remember watching a uh, making of the video with a director by the name of Wayne Isham, and he was directing a song called Pop by NSYNC. And I remember watching that thinking to myself, I mean, like literally the roof exploded from my head. I was a, I was a communications major. My brother was a journalism major. Like I just kind of did it because he did, but I didn't know really where I belonged. And I saw that show and I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I don't want to be the talent, but I want to be responsible for telling their story. And I, and in my mind at the time, I wanted to be a music video director and so I wanted to bring songs that I have historically fallen in love with in my life, NSYNC being one of those groups. I mean, I had I had NSYNC posters up in college, and I don't know what that says about me, but like, whatever. It's I'm maybe just glad you were an NSYNC kind of gal instead of a Backstreet Boys kind of gal, because we might have to end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean, so, so like, here I am, and, and I was... Uh, you know, setting up to go abroad the second semester of my junior year. But I remember coming back from living in London and being like, I cannot go back to live in Washington, D.C. Like I'm going to apply for an internship with the company that, uh, you know, had the music video director that put on this this pop video. And I applied and and I remember like a month later coming back from dinner with my parents. I was like so distraught to be back in D.C. after living in London and and they were like, there's a message for you on the on the answering machine. And it's from, I think, Amanda Part, Amanda Part or something like that. And I was like, what? And I like ran down the stairs, listened to the message. And they were like, we would never encourage someone to relocate for a free unpaid intern position from Washington, D.C. to L.A. But like, if you want to do it, like we're here. And it was the summer of 2002. And it was an epic time in music videos. I mean, we mm -hmm. did. We did all the Budweiser commercials with the frogs. We did a Mandy Moore music videos when she was a singer. We did Willa Ford. We did Good Charlotte. We did, we did um, Britney, like Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman video in Arizona. Oh, wow. We did In Sync. We did Backstreet. Um, we did Cheryl Crow. We, I worked on the Kid Rock music video for, um, it was, um, Oh my God. Feel like making love. He did a cover of mm -hmm. feel like making love. And we went out to Santa Monica and did a whole, like we were in arrow mock-ups and it was a music video about reaching the mile high club on a plane. <laughs> and that was like an incredible video. I worked with pink um, and was the, was the production assistant who went out to get her Corona's and limes. Okay. Cause that's what she desired on a music video. What, um, what a I, important job that is. Whatever she needs to do to hone her craft, <laughs> like I am here for it. Um, and the last gig that I ever had, um, the last two gigs I had, one was I, whenever Blood Diamond was nominated for a, for a Oscar, for an Oscar, whatever that year was, and I can't, I think it was 2006, 2007, um, maybe actually earlier, 2004, 
they did an intro before the Oscars started and it was mm-hmm. like all the people who were nominated for best actors and actresses and supporting did like a Q&A kind of like what you did in the beginning with me at, as a precursor to the grant to the Oscars and mm-hmm. it was like the, it was like the talent that came through there and I was responsible for making sure that everybody was there as, a, as like a production assistant it was like make sure everyone's here and it was like Leo and and um uh jennifer what's her face was nominated for um oh my god from american idol she was nominated for dream girl yes uh, no jennifer, oh, jennifer uh, uh hudson. hudson hudson ryan gosling was there like it was this incredible thing where i was like i i think i can go now you know like i don't i don't think <laughs> like i did it i did it all i did it and like I got called for one more job and that's the second part of this. I got called to work with Prince and, and it was like a month long tour with Prince Um, rest in peace. And it was the end of an era for me that I I'm writing a book and it will be like a huge part of the book. God, what a whirlwind of just not wanting to be in DC and being like, I'm just going to apply for this unpaid internship. Like that is just another Testament of who you are and how life has worked out because you have just gone with what you wanted to do, whether you knew what you were doing or not, you really just went with it. That is want to be happy. I want to be happy. And I think because I have had the privilege of being happy, it is Mm -hmm. my job to, to try and help other people be happy. Yeah. So who's your favorite person to work with? God. Um, Prince. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, what else are you going to really say? Prince. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was like he he was obsessed with Pepperidge Farm cookies. This is mm-hmm. a fun fact about Prince and couldn't show up to any of his shoots without like plates of Pepperidge Farm cookies. And <laughs> I remember singing like in when you was so he lived on the at the time, I think prior to his death, um, he was still living at the top of Mulholland Drive and mm-hmm. walked into his home and right there in front of you is just his symbol mm-hmm. in plated gold, like right there in the foyer. And I remember walking in and like singing a print song, like under my breath with the director <laughs> of photography being like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. And he came out of the kitchen and was like, do you think that this is the American Idol tryouts? And I was like, no, no, it, no, it is not. And he laughed and then like went into the kitchen and it was just like, oh my God, what a smart ass, what a king like what an unbelievable inspirer of music for so many people and Mm -hmm. it was you know I'll I'll never forget that time and and I feel so blessed to have been a part of the music industry um, during a really tough time for the music industry and I'll I'm forever indebted Mm -hmm. and and how smart and perfect that you were like okay now it's, it's time. I think a lot of people get so stuck in what they're doing, especially if it's working, they're like, okay, this is going well. I'm just going to keep at it. And yes. it was going great for you. And you were climbing your way up from unpaid intern to production assistant yes. and it wasn't serving you anymore. And I think there is just so much power in that sentiment alone of when things are done serving you, it doesn't mean that they weren't good and they weren't good in the moment but it's time to move on. Yes. I couldn't agree more. And I think like 
I don't know what it was about that industry that initially attracted me. I could say it's music because I've always had a love for it and I mm -hmm. wanted to be around people. I wanted I wanted to be around people that inspired me and at that point in my life that was uh, that was musicians mm -hmm. and and I wanted to be a part of telling their story. And I think as life moved on I think I just really wanted I and maybe this is why I launched a podcast. It's like I just want to be a part of, of disseminating important and special information on behalf of the human experience. And mm -hmm. like, I want to be someone who gives people a platform to speak. And, and I think there's a lot in there. Like I, I didn't know my voice as a child and, and then I did. And now mm -hmm. I feel really, you know, empowered. And, and if I can be someone that helps people you know, celebrate their life and champion their life and, and get closer to living in, in alignment, then like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. It fills me up. Yeah. I can see that. And we do have so many similarities. It's a bit bizarre at this point. Um, okay. So you moved to LA 2002. Yes, I moved. Yeah. I was an intern and then I got invited back to a band apart for a, a hired position, uh, the summer of 2003. Okay. And then, so you no longer live in LA, but that was recent. Were you in LA that entire time? And what, what helped you make the decision to go? Yeah. I, so I was there, I left, um, where are we now? It's, it's almost the, the yeah. Great question. Good, good question. <laughs> what, what is, what, is this? <laughs> End of March. And I moved, I left LA after 17 years, um, mm -hmm. in in August of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I could say a lot about it. I think I wore many hats in LA. I obviously had this, had this jaunt in the music industry. And then, um, that led me down a lot of roads, worked for agencies, worked obviously in makeup and beauty and, um, and I eventually landed in 2012 and 2013 with creating Skin Owl. And I think having seven years in LA of doing Skin Owl, it was an amazing backdrop to, to work in the beauty industry and amazing to come up in a time where clean beauty maybe wasn't having a moment in the way that it is now, but to be mm -hmm. one of these like early founding mothers of, of, of you know, a, a good, um, on the good side of history when it comes mm -hmm. to, to skincare. And so I think at a certain point, I just didn't feel inspired anymore. And yeah. I felt deadened inside. Um, loved my friends, owned a home, loved my, you know, loved my life. But it's almost like if those walls could talk, and that's mm -hmm. usually how I talk about LA is 17 years, a lot of different hats. I was married and divorced then remarried, had a child. And I think having my son, who's now 19 months, uh, I, I just didn't want to raise my child in that city, you know, and then you throw in the pandemic and I've never seen the life sucked out of a city as much as it was from LA. And I didn't recognize the city anymore. And I didn't mm -hmm. feel safe in the city anymore. And I felt afraid and I, it felt unfamiliar. And you know, and this is just my experience. I felt like I was on the other end of a lot of really angry, upset people for right deserving reasons, but it was changing who I was as a person. Like mm -hmm. I am so joyful and I, and I deeply want to be happy and want to make other people happy, but I just felt like my energy was being sucked. And I felt like 
I couldn't serve people anymore in that city. And so um, uh, uh, May of 2020, my husband and I, we had been thinking about leaving LA and um, we were actually thinking of places like Atlanta and Raleigh and you know, possibly going back east. And then very quickly we were like, no, we don't want to. Like, I, I love the West Coast, but mm-hmm. I just don't want to be here. And so we had been hearing a lot about Boise, Idaho, which is not a place I have ever considered living and, and was not on my radar, literally was not on my radar prior to the pandemic. And, and then it just started funneling through like all of these amazing things and family driven and community driven and so beautiful and lots of, for better or worse, California, you know, Exodus is kind of moving to Boise. And, um, and so we visited in May and had the best eight days of our life. And it was like, you know, when you know, yeah, when you fall in love with a person or a place, you know it. And we were just like, this is the next chapter. And so, yeah, went back to LA, put my house on the market and we moved in August and we've been here ever since. So how's Boise? Is it living up to, is it now that the honeymoon phase, if we're comparing it to relationships has, has kind of faded, how's Boise treating you? It is, um, it is, uh, I feel honored to live here. It's, there's just no other way to describe Mm -hmm. it. It is, um, foot for foot, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, but there's a swagger and a vibe and like people are coming from, you know, and I see it from both way from from both sides, and I say this sensitively to the people of Idaho because, you know, it much like Portland and Seattle didn't used to be the Portland and Seattle we know now. It's happening. Like people yeah. are coming to Boise because it's it's one of these last frontiers that offers an opportunity for parents to raise children that are not on cell phones and to to dig into the Boise River and not have to like. I don't know. I, like I go down to the river. I'm like, how are we not, do we not have to pay to be here? Like, it's so beautiful. I feel like I'm at the Grand Canyon. It, it's like, you can't believe the peace and the, the just, it's so hard to put, to put into words, but you just feel so lucky to be on the other end of, of time alone yeah. and, and peacefulness after LA. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's so high value here, my experience yeah. here and family oriented and, the friendliest fucking people I have ever met in my life. It's like, it's like, I'm almost like, wow. Like it throws me like people come and they're like, hello, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And I'm like, what the hell, what the f- what do you want? What you know? pleasant bill am I living in right now? Are you guys okay? <laughs> it's like people walk towards you in LA and you run. So yeah, you're like, what you know, is happening? Don't talk to me. No one yeah, talk to me. You don't have the bandwidth for it. And you're just trying to do what you need to do often. Mm-hmm unknowingly to survive and so like you just don't have time for it and like what does this person want from me and even if that's not the experience in LA that was mine so that's a sign that I need to like go and start my healing somewhere else I think that is incredible point I think any city can get a bad reputation and I feel like LA is one of those places where once people leave everyone assumes it's the worst but it's it's knowing when something no longer serves you which again you are very clearly good at whether it be a career or a place or a person and I think that is such a good lesson there it's LA can serve someone their entire life and be wonderful. Other people it's for a season. And I, I totally understand the, the life getting sucked out of it during quarantine. I think somewhere like Boise, the life is the nature and the space and in LA as beautiful as it can be, it's kind of felt like it, 
and I'm sure you can relate to this as someone who lived in LA for so long. It's like, it's been raining for a year and a half. Yeah. LA is a different place when it rains. It like fully loses its allure. You yes. the palm trees don't look as pretty. The sky is scary. You start noticing the dirt and the grime on the ground when you're looking down instead of up. Yes. And I feel like that's kind of what COVID did. And I know it did it to a lot of big cities and I'm hoping that those cities can recover, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. And it's definitely like, I, I always feel the need to, to kind of bookend my LA experience with this sentiment that, you know, I don't have any less love for LA because of my experience. It's quite the opposite. I have so much love for Los Angeles and it has been, it will forever hold a piece of my heart. Um, my heart breaks for Los Angeles because it's not LA's fault. You know, this is this beautiful landscape that people want to go to and people want to experience and dreamers go there and people who want uh, the road less traveled and people who want to leave a mark on the world go to LA and it's very different than Manhattan and people go to Manhattan for that reason too. But LA, it has its own breed and it has this this beautiful chaos and um, it's not sunshine in the beach and a bunch of people kicking back. Like the, it has its chaos and it has mm -hmm. its hunger and it has its dog eat dog. And, um, and I, I think, you know, it grows you up so quickly and, and you learn such incredible unique lessons as a result of living in that city. And you, you love so hard, you know, mm -hmm. you just, it just brings that out of you. Passionate people move to LA and then they have passionate experiences and it be, it, becomes part of your DNA after a while. And so I will always love LA. I think I have a little bit of anxiety about going back, but now over the last few weeks, I'm like, I think I'm like ready to go back and, and be a visitor and mm -hmm. like go to the beach, actually go to the beach and like eat at the restaurants that like I want to go to and, and appreciate that city for all that it gifted me. Yeah. I think you'll value it even more now that you can kind of see it through different lens now being in a different location. I feel like you kind of have a similar experience with the beauty community. You were very involved in as a professional and a professional makeup artist. I just want to hear kind of your perspective on where we're at. We've, I I'm sure there's frustration as a makeup artist, seeing that we've turned into like only following YouTube tutorials of people telling you you have to bake for an hour to have like flawless skin. And then you look crazy in person and your experiences of seeing really harsh chemicals used and focusing on the sales over the people. Do you kind of feel the same way about the beauty industry and community as you do about LA that it doesn't really serve you and you kind of want to go a different direction, even as somebody who owns a skincare company? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, I think one part of me is, <clears throat> I'll say this, as as someone who struggled with self-worth and, and I think finding my footing, on one hand, I feel like everything I set out to do, I've done. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the spectrum, the person who is empowered and after years of therapy and life experience, like understands their power. And I mean that in a, in a actually a, a humbling way. Um, you know, my purpose, I think is another way to say it. Like now that I know my purpose, I'm like, so not done. Mm -hmm. Like I actually haven't done what I've set out to do. And there's so much more. And, you know, it is my choice to be the founder of Skin Owl every single day. And every single day I have an opportunity to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is actually eating at me and I'm not 
joyful in my life as much as I want to be. And, and I'm going to hang up my hat. And I'm just going to do the podcast. Like that's a choice. And that's mm-hmm. a choice that every entrepreneur has to make. And I think somewhere along the line, we forget that we have a choice and we feel indebted to people and we got to keep going. And, you know, I'm, it took a long time for me to understand that, you know, the beauty industry is having a reckoning. I think much like there's been political unrest and there's been racial unrest and injustice and anything that is something that has been fed to us or where the marketing feels um, like there's a loss of integrity, um, we're going to have a bone to pick as, as the collective, you know, and we're going to want to stand up for what is actually going on here and what is true. And I will not be, this is thanks to Gen Z. This is, I think, as a result of this social media um, onslaught where, you know, for, for better or worse and whatever's happened on social media as a result, you know, to, as a combat to our mental health, it has also been the backdrop for a lot of change. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I think what's happening right now in the beauty industry is, is people wanting transparency, people wanting to hold founders accountable, um, people wanting receipts. Um, also like the clean beauty industry, is it conscious? Is it green? Is it the blue industry? Blue, you know, is it blue beauty? Like what is it? And I think in a certain aspect, it can all live together. You know, mm-hmm. like you can be clean and conscious and green and blue and vegan and this and that. Um, and also not have high integrity. You know, you yeah. can have high integrity in some areas and not in others um, in your marketing and how you plan to fool people. <clears throat> and and I think when it comes to Skin Owl, I I like being so connected to the brand because I know that I'm good and I know that I have a good head on my shoulders and I know I have integrity and I know that I just want the good, the best for people. So I think that's been a part of the reason why like having a board of directors and having a venture capitalist and selling um, <clears throat> I would, I would make them change the name yeah. <laughs> because Skin Owl isn't cloaked in that Skin Owl is cloaked in goodness. And so, um, yeah, I think for me, it's as long as this doesn't feel as long, as long as Skin Owl feels good, like I'm here for it. And as long as if I lose my way, like I imagine that Skin Owl will too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think everyone just wants transparency and we're seeing that, as you said, at every level and in every corner of our society and our system. And yeah, it's not really being tolerated anymore to just be shit people for lack of a better term. Yeah. So you have your family, you have your company, and then you decided let's throw a podcast into the mix because that's easy. And as we discussed um, earlier on your podcast, there's a lot of work involved in a podcast and it is not the most lucrative thing to do. What made you want to add podcast host to your plethora of hats you're already wearing? I, I, I love that question. And I think, you know, ultimately it just comes down to, and I say this in my intro, um, <clears throat> like the kind of like the, the bio of off the record. It's, I think when you spend years talking to people about their skin, you hear all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So you hear about the lack of confidence and you hear about the reconciling age and, um, and the loss of youth, right? All of these things. It's, it's very rarely a conversation when I'm doing skin consults with people about just the age it's, it's, or just the aging process or just the acne. It's, it becomes emotional. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, I wouldn't say that like my, my dream of becoming a podcast host came as, you know, like in order to start a podcast, you should probably start a skincare brand first. But like, that was my journey because I have always, always wanted to, uh, to be connected to people who are inspiring. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, Skin Owl gave me the confidence to go after what I really wanted at such a young age. And that was to be someone that interviewed people. Mm -hmm. And that is as a result of David Letterman and specifically Howard Stern and Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres and, you know, fuck, even Ricky Lake at times. Like Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with people asking poignant probing questions so that we could get the truth. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that is where I have landed. And I think like skin owl through healing my own skin, I, I found some kind of power within me to go after what I really wanted and what I didn't think I could ever have. And that is this position that is the podcast. And, and I, I have a long list of people to thank for that. You seem like a sponge of all the good that you like in people, whether they're celebrities or people in your inner circle, it really seems like you're a sponge of their great qualities and you take them on. I mean, even how you got into music videos, you saw somebody producing and that Alex, cool. I would like to do that. And so you did it and watching different hosts and enjoying that. It's really interesting to see where you've picked up these little nuances that make you a complete human. Thank you for seeing me. You know, I mean, that's a really cool thing. I don't think I've ever had someone really see, you know, the whole, the whole picture. And um, yeah, I think I, I am, I would say I'm a fearless person in terms of going after things because, or, or manifesting things or Mm -hmm. allowing things to appear because for me, the greater loss is not doing it. Mm-hmm. it's not failing at it. It's just, and that, that's not meant to be cheesy. I mean, that's like my soul talking, like, you know, what, what will you regret more essentially like living a life where you, you have a, a bunch of almosts or living a life where you attempted it and, and it didn't work out. And there's several things that haven't worked out in my life. I mean, from a young age, you know, like trying sports and being so awful at them and wanting to do gymnastics, but being too tall and being too old to play soccer by the time I wanted to, and being an awful ice skater, but an epic bowler, but an epic bowler. Okay. I was in bowling league. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I threw myself into a lot of my parents threw me into a lot of things as a kid that made me very Mm well-rounded, um, and, and very well-adjusted. And I think between that and, and summer camp and traveling, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's changed my life. I think that's a great point about parenting of throwing your kids into things because, you had a lot of experience failing then early on in your life. You're not going to be good at every single sport. And I think that's, that's such a powerful lesson that I think I really lacked growing up. I only did things if I thought I was going to be quite good at them. So I didn't feel like I really had a lot of experience failing that I wish I had. So I'm going to take that down in the notes of being a good parent and just throw my kids into things. Yeah, And not in like a, not in like a, like a, yeah, right. Like these mm-hmm. helicopter moms or like soccer moms <laughs> that they've awfully been called. But 
I think it was my parents never like expected me to excel in these mm-hmm. things. It wasn't like, well, you're only going to do it if you're good. It was quite the opposite. Like I remember doing ballet, tap and jazz. And my mom was like, you know, it's the next season. And like, I'm not going to pay for that unless you really love it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not really into it. And it's like, then we're just not going to pay for it. You know, like, that's just not, that's not what we're going to do here. And and I, I don't, I don't remember if I was interested in it or if my parents were just like, maybe you should try this. Mm-hmm. Um, You're going to know but, until you try. Yeah. And, and I, I really am grateful for that because it was less about the achievement and less about <clears throat> winning. And mm-hmm. it was more just about experiencing, you know, and creating a, having a litmus test for likes and dislikes and then yeah. going through life and doing more of that. Yeah. You probably learned a bit more about yourself and what you like and don't like so much earlier on than a lot of people do who just find their thing that they enjoy and throw everything into it. I think, especially in our culture, we do that. And then it's like, you become obsessed with this one thing, get to high school or college and realize that that's not your thing and freak out that your whole life is over because that's all your life was. And you seem extremely adaptable. And I think that's probably a testament to how you were raised a bit. I, I absolutely think that. And so much of that comes from going to summer camp. I have to give credit where credit's due. <laughs> I went to a camp called Camp Louise. It was in Cascade, Maryland. And my grandmother had gone there and <clears throat> there was a boys camp and a girls camp. And the sum of it is that it was essentially like a liberal arts camp. They had arts and crafts, they had pottery, they had dance, they had plays that we would put on every summer. And it was not just a place that I explored, you know, like the boys would come over and everybody would get dressed up, you know, you'd put on your favorite Birkenstocks and, you know, whatever, a little bit of Bobby Brown lip gloss and go, you know, be thieves of the night. But it was a place that I explored, you know, all these genuine kind of liberal art based interests. It was also a place that I could explore sexually. It was, a you know, and feel safe mm-hmm. and have first kisses and do other things and, and feel like I was in this really safe space. And it was also a place where, and I, I say this a lot, there was a lot of, there were a lot of gay men at the boys camp because it was a place where after being tormented during the school year, they could have a place that they could have these secret relationships and some of them were open. And it was also a place where I was eight years old and my counselor was a lesbian and she taught me how to play the guitar. And the first, that was my first taste of music was the Indigo Girls. It was like two women singing folk music with guitars. They taught me how to sing. It changed my life. And while I'm not a lesbian, I remember looking around that camp being like, oh my God, like they're, everybody's holding, we're, I mean, first of all, all of us are holding hands because it's a sisterhood, but there's also these, these young women who are, hiding behind the bunks, having their first kisses with like the loves of their life. Some of these women are now married. And it's like, I didn't think for one second that it was weird. So I had an example of a great acceptance as a child. And then I would think to myself in my later years, like, well, what the hell are these kids doing in high school? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like camp was a place where you could grow and explore. And it was a refuge for, for, all children, you know, because of, of at all ages. And I was there until I was 21 years old and it shaped my life because, you know, my parents always said like I survived the school year just to get to camp. And so I think so much of this adaptability comes from a place of witnessing that in other people too. I wonder why the camp was so much more 
open and accepting than schools were. I don't know if that's just because there's like an end in sight. And most of the time in school, people are just trying so hard to fit in because it's in their mind, the rest of their lives until you're 18 with the same group of kids. I wonder if it's just freeing because you might not see these people in a few months or what it is, but I wish, I wish schools felt as safe as camp for you did yeah it was you know I think summer comes with its freedom Mm -hmm. and camp um is is the placeholder for that you know the the logo or the what is it the mantra of camp was um be god I'm gonna mess it up be the good that you see here Mm -hmm. and so I don't know if that was like every camp had this but my camp was like and and I and I think most kids who go to camp they come away being like those were my those were my real friends these were these formative experiences like those were my wonder years mm-hmm. and camp it, it was just a known thing that like when you get to camp there is no bias there is no judgment there is no racism like I met kids in my bunk that I otherwise wouldn't have chosen in my mm-hmm. high school life because of what you know because of sports I was playing or this or that and it was just like it was everybody was a misnomer and we were all together just kind of figuring it out and it was the great equalizer we needed an adult camp that sounds (laughs) I'm so bummed now that I've never gone to camp that sounds remarkable (laughs) it's awful um as I have said many times now off the record your podcast is so incredible you're such a good host I love the way you speak with people however I think one of my favorite episodes that I've listened to is the episode that you just did on your own talking about turning 40. And I resonated with it so much. I was actually speaking to my mom before we jumped on our call today. And I was, I told her to listen to it because I think you articulated the idea of not feeling an age. I think you said, I correct me if I misquote you, but you said you never really feel your age unless you're like three or six months. We never feel the age we're attached to. And that has been as I've I've never really been one to be scared to get older, but I 30 is the age 30 is the age that so many people are afraid of. I've had even at 90% of my birthday wishes were like either people older than 30 being like, it's not so bad or younger than 30 being like, Oh my God, you're so old. And I think it's such a silly concept. We are not our age. We are so many things, but our age is not one of those things that we are. You can't be an age in my mind. Um, so yeah, have you, have you always felt that or has that wisdom come with getting older? Were you afraid to turn 30? Were you afraid to turn any age? I, I think like, I remember hearing someone at a very, at a younger age saying, yeah, I'm 30 now. So I just have 10 years to be 30. Mm -hmm. And it was like, that's an interesting way of thinking at it as opposed to like, I'm 31, 35, 36. Like I think turning, you know, turning 21 is a milestone. And, Mm -hmm. and when you turn kind of like on the fives and you're closer to 40 at 35 than you are at 34, um, right? Like these all kind of have their standout moments. I think for me, because I was married for the first time at 35 and then divorced at 36 age, it was the first time that age became pronounced because it was, Mm -hmm. am I going to be able to experience some of the things that I want in my life because of this setback, essentially, like 
in order for me to meet someone now in Los Angeles and maybe have a baby, like, am I going to miss the boat? Am I going to miss out on, on these experiences? And so it was the first time that age was a fear. And so I think coming into 40, being happily remarried, feeling grateful to have a healthy son, to be where I am in my career and to have the support system that I do and the privilege to live the life that I do. It's, um, and the gift of choice, to be honest, it, it was, um, now I'm just afraid of life being over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's less about being afraid of 40, but I think sometimes you're only afraid of your age if you're not living a life that resembles you, you know? So you have stuff to fear if you are wasting your own time. And if you're not and, and, and you feel aligned, then yeah, you just don't want it to end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, our fear is definitely misplaced. It's almost like if that little sand timer is flipped over and that's the fear, the, the running out of the sand is the fear, not the age. I think for the couple of weeks I've been 30, it's so much cooler than any age I've ever been. It's so much fun. Um, my mom actually was making a really good point and she, for a very long time, she was always 25. She's always 25. She would joke her and my dad. She was just like, I'm 25 again for the 18th time. And now that she's in her sixties, she's 50 still. That's the age that she wants to stay. And why not stay that age? Um, but I think when you're younger and you inevitably hear somebody older in your life, go, God, I don't feel enter age here. You don't feel it because you aren't it. I also, I think that's why I really liked your point of you only are, you feel that age if you're three or six months, because it doesn't mean anything. I think once you're, once you're a fully formed adult, yes, you'll have many more experiences. It's not like life. You just stop living and stop gaining things, but you're pretty much who you are. You know what you want, you know what you like. And now you get a ton of years to just live as that person. Instead of the turmoil of growing up, you are just you don't have to grow up. You are, you're, you're grown in you're, you are who you are and it just feels good. Yeah. And it's, it's an emotional thing to look back on a, on the fullness and the wholeness of your life. You know, Mm -hmm. when you have just experienced great pain and great joy. So the it's, it's less, it's not the fear of getting older, but it's the pride. I think Mm -hmm. that you take in surviving a hundred percent of the things that you've lived through. Yeah. It's, it's so wild. I think anytime I'm not feeling good enough or that I'm doing enough in my career, in my life, I really try to like check in with baby Cammy and think like, how does she feel about where we're at today? Because I think we, we don't always celebrate the things that happen because they might feel insignificant. We don't, we don't celebrate unless they're really big things. But when you look back and you see how those little things added up, like is it's 10 year old 15 year old 20 year old you proud of who you are right now and like I don't know I know baby cam is stoked on where we are today so oh my I think God. that's like a good baby gauge. Annie. <laughs> baby Annie is probably somewhere eating a stick or some sand based <laughs> on my childhood photos but also 15 year old Annie maybe needs to cool it a little bit on the tube tops especially when they're just at a re- at a really weird length, like below the hip bone. That is not, that's just like an apron, I think, at a certain point. 
Oh my God. The, the questionable outfits. Yeah. I, I thought growing up, there were certain styles. I, I knew that's how fashion worked, that everything came back, but living through the early 2000s and that being like my formative years, I really thought we were going to leave all of those ones. Um, I don't know. A lot of questionable things are coming back. My biggest fear are those like long two tops or tank tops with the belt over top. I think that's Listen, my, that's it's my all biggest our fear. right now. My entire childhood, like I was the grunge era. Okay. I was 13 when Kurt Cobain passed unfortunately so like I was shopping at thrift stores wearing bowling shirts wearing Stussy shirts like wearing Birkenstocks for the first time like the grunge thing was that that's I mean even now at 40 dyed my hair blue because I'm like I'm gonna do all the things that I didn't get to do as a kid or didn't like have the confidence to do as a kid but it's it is I now go to Urban Outfitters or any place and I'm like that like the the movie clueless like that is what we wore we yeah. wore high socks and like short plaid skirts and turtlenecks like it's so cool now but it just the pictures i just i don't know young kids now are so much more fashionable than 15 year olds were yeah. then i don't i don't understand how we are the same like i don't understand how you look at a photo of myself from 15 and a 15 year old now and in any, that's how, you know, age means nothing because we are not the same breed. I don't know how you already know how to do your makeup and your hair and dress yourself and make things that the exact same outfit I wore look a lot cooler. Uh, we didn't have those lessons. We didn't have the internet. Um, so we didn't have YouTube. We had like 17 magazine and that could only get us oh, so wasn't far. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I was a big J 14 girl girl. Growing up, that didn't serve me well. I remember having a cutout poster on one side. I had, um, oh my gosh, my I just had a brain fart and I cannot. What is his name from? Oh, Paul Walker. I had a picture of Paul Walker on one side, RIP, and on the other side, Jordana Brewster, who was my real celebrity crush. Crush, but I, uh, little baby closeted Cam, didn't know how to process that, so I would like flip the poster back and forth. To, like, oh like, my god, that's one. amazing. <laughs> I love that so much. God, it's it's part of our journey. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We've got the pictures and home videos to prove it. <laughs> Un unfortunately. Honestly, kids these days are way worse off though. There's two there, it's easier to film stuff. At least I have to go like rummage through a VHS to really find anything. And then there's that weird period of like no more VHS, but no phones yet. So luckily my most unfortunate years aren't really documented. So, and any other, no, any pictures I found, pictures. I burned. <laughs> exactly. It's either burned, it's either ash, or then you find the VHS, but then you need to find the, you need to find something to play the VHS. It's a whole thing. It's like, luckily people aren't going to find those. I hope. No, I'm happy for it to not be found. <laughs> I'm totally confident in that fact that it can be hidden for life. Yeah, I don't need I don't need the record. So before I let you go, what are you most looking forward to in this next year or next decade? You can you may choose of your life. I mean, um, I think I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm looking for a substantial amount of time to rest. Um, and and I I don't. I don't mean that in like a lay on the couch and eat bonbons kind of a way, but I mean that in a way that is to tame kind of this hyperproductive nature, mm -hmm. um, you know, between Skin Owl and the podcast and being a mother and 
you know, I just opened up a store in Boise. It's my first brick and mortar that has ever been for Skin Owl. Um, it's like, it's, it's all good. You know what I mean? Like I don't need to do anything else. And so for me, um, and here I go mentioning something that I do want to do, but I think this is like more of a healing project for me and something that I think will allow me to process my life as opposed to keep working um, and proving something, you know, in terms of about uh, glamorizing the, the hyper productivity of life. But I, I want to spend some time like reconciling the entire journey and potentially write a book about it and, and, and just have that as, as um, I don't know, just something to share with my son and mm -hmm. something to look back on that like it all, it all meant something and it all was part of my journey and it all took me here, you know, and <clears throat> it's the collateral beauty of, of life, you know, and, and I think after that, I don't know, like life, it's a different speed here. You know, mm -hmm. there, it's, it's, there's a city and there's a swagger and there's a, a thing going on, but it's not LA. And, and I want to learn from the people of Idaho to dig into the joys of life and not let it pass you by because life does fly. Um, and to, to get okay with the things that you've done and, and not to, my dad always says, um, not push out the good in pursuit of the great. Oh, I love that. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it can, can be really good and you don't have to work that extra mile to get to great. Like you, you can be okay with really good and good mm -hmm. is awesome. And great is sometimes, you know, uh, the difference between good and great can strip the good strip the yeah. joy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am so excited for this next chapter of your life and hopefully we'll get to read about it soon. Maybe we'll have you back on yes. if you write this book so we can hear some more stories. This was so much fun. Annie, can you please let everyone know where they can continue to follow you, the podcast and skin out? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm, you're such a pro and such a joy and a light and, you know, it's exactly what I said in my podcast about you, that you are just adored and beloved for the, for the best reasons, you know what I mean? For the right reasons and for the reasons that I hope make you really proud. So thank you for just shining your light on me and giving me an opportunity to have a voice and, and speak about my journey. It, it means more than, you know, I'm so glad you came. I think you are extremely inspiring. And I, I, I don't know if you know that about yourself. I don't, I'm getting a sense that it's a very humble feeling, but you are so inspirational. I feel so inspired and like excited about life just from talking to you these past couple hours. Uh, I love, love you. Thank you so much. Um, okay. So, uh, skinowl.com is, will lead you to all things. Um, obviously skin owl in terms of the vegan, uh, cruelty-free conscious skincare brand. Um, they're all formulations by myself, just so that, you know, and, and really efficient. So if you're looking, if you're having issues with your skin and, and you need something to support you, you can visit skinowl.com. And from there you can drop down podcasts and you'll see everything about off the record. And if you're on the gram, which I'm, which you possibly are, um, it's at skin owl or at off the record with you. And, um, that's really it. I'm not super active on Facebook or Twitter. I don't TikTok. I just, I can't There's too many. There's I cannot. too dang many. <laughs> yes. I'm on Instagram and clubhouse and that's it. So oh, perfect. Um, that's, that's me in a nutshell.
Incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show. All the information will also be in the show notes if you missed anything and I will see you all next week. Bye.